Hello again, everybody. I'm Mike Westendorf, and welcome to our next edition of Great Questions and Great Conversations. And uh, again, these are questions, this particular uh, topic that we're running through are doubts that came up in a sermon series that we just asked people. Uh, tell us, what are you struggling with? What doesn't make sense? Uh, what are people that you know are asking questions about? And so, uh, we wanted to, to ask our pastors, and, and today we're, we're speaking again with Pastor Pete, and we're going to jump into uh, probably the question that gets said by everybody. Uh, wh- quite frankly, if you are a Christian, you ask this question, and if you're not a believer, if you're not a Jesus person, or maybe you once were, a lot of times these are the questions that really trip people up, and it's the why, God. Why? Why? And so, uh, Pastor Pete, Hello, how are you doing? Excellent. Great to see you, Mike. Thanks for ready to get back at another one. This? You bet. Yeah, we, uh, you had forwarded an email too that came from a family, uh, and a mom just shared too that even kids ask these kinds of hard questions. And so, if it's all right with you, let's just jump into the deep end of the pool and the probably the biggest one: the why do bad things happen if God is a loving God? Why is there evil in the world, and why does he allow bad things to happen? Let's let's kind of start in there and just see where it goes and wrestle through that a bit. Yeah, woo! But uh, honestly, the uh, it's not five just five years five year olds. It's it's uh, pastors that have been in the ministry for a long, long time who ask those questions yeah. more and more. The longer I'm in ministry, uh, the more pain I see. Uh, the more that I just don't understand. And uh, really the book of Job is God's answer to this question, uh, which will disappoint us, but it calls us for, calls on us for humility. So if you're familiar with the account of Job, uh, in Job, uh, the it begins with uh, God calling attention to Job. Satan is in God's presence, and God, the Lord, calls attention to Job. Says, "Hey, have you notice this? You know this great guy, Job." And Man. and Satan's response is, "Well, uh, let's let's uh, let bad things happen to him, and and uh, we'll see." Right. You know, and and bad things do happen to Job. Uh, the, the the first chapter he. He loses his wealth, uh, and then he loses his family. Uh, and uh, he end, that chapter ends with Job holding on to his faith. And then in the next chapter, it's again the Lord, the, the Savior God, who mentions to Satan, hey, have you noticed my servant Job? Isn't he a great guy? And, and uh, Satan's response is, oh, let me just have at his body and, and uh, yeah. make him sick and in pain. Then he's going to curse God. Uh, and so it's it's critical to to hear that the Lord sets a limit what Satan can do. Satan is told you can you can have at his body, but you have you can't take his life. Mm-hmm. The God's in, in con- God's still in control, even though he he allows Satan uh, to do things. And then. Uh, Job's friends come and talk to him, and and uh, basically the the thrust of Job's friends 
the their argument is, Job, you must have done something really bad that God is punishing you uh, for your your uh, uh, sins by by what you've done. Uh, and uh, Job says, you know, I haven't done anything really bad, you know. And uh, finally, Elihu comes and, and Elihu speaks and doesn't say much. Uh, everything he says is true, but he doesn't love Job. You know, he's just trying to put Job in his place. Right. And then finally, the Lord speaks. And the Lord asks of Job all kinds of questions. Who are you to question me? Were you there when God, when I created the world? Do you know when the fawns give birth? You know, can you control these huge creatures? You know, and, and the whole point is for Job to come to grips with big God, little Job. And that, the three things that you can come away from Job's, the, the account of Job is, the Lord remains the Savior God. Job is deal. God is the Lord is dealing with Job in love. In fact, this if if you plug through the book of Job, you'll notice something's missing in the the center sections. Uh, God is always called God. He's never called the Lord. Uh, the Lord is the the name for the Savior. God. Right, right. Um, and uh, he remains the Savior God. At the end of the story, he still calls Job my servant, Job. Uh, the questions that Job is asked by the Lord, you know, where were you when I created the world? And do you make it rain and snow and all of that stuff was meant to emphasize God's power. But the toughest thing to handle is God's wisdom. Mm -hmm. That we have to trust that the God who loves us and the God who is all-powerful is smart enough to know what's best. And we can't figure that out. You know, that that's ultimately what it comes down to is, is uh, we have to humbly admit the Lord knows he loves me. He's got all power. And he knows best. To throw out a couple of, of thoughts and, and just yeah. see and maybe help help me process it or or, or re-steer me. Um, you know, I get I get asked this one a lot too. And it's it's one of the it's it's heart-wrenching because some of the things obviously that you see, and like you you said, like the older we get, the more you know, I don't understand it. Um I thought I could see the vision of this when I was younger, but you know, God's justice and God's timing is not Mike's timing and Mike's justice. And um, I would oftentimes talk about the idea of, you know, the wages of sin is death. Um, and a lot of times you can put that out and it sounds like a very churchy word, you know, sin. Ooh, I don't believe in, in your Jesus. So therefore I'm not impacted by this sin. And uh, just to kind of, to simplify it, sin brings death to, relationships and death to opportunities and death to freedom. It's the promise that when we, when we sin, you're going to see certain outcomes uh, or when sin is inflicted upon you or with the reality that we live in a broken world, the world is affected by sin. So the, the sin thing is a real deal. And 
yet the grace of God, you know, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And for me, a couple of years ago, God just really put laid it on my heart that so many of my fist moments at God oftentimes come around when I'm actually mad more times than not because my plan, the way that I would do it if I was God, he's not doing it that way. And as a result, I, I, I oftentimes it feels like everything that I'm feeling is just magnified. And like you said, the humility piece of things, the older I get, I, I think you said a big God, little Job, big God, little Mike. It's been very helpful to me as the chaos flies. It, 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 is there anything there that, that is worth yeah. talking yeah. about? Yeah. Um, you know, why is there evil in the world? Or why is there trouble and, and pain in the world because of sin? Um, but we want to be careful not to say, okay, you're suffering, and right. therefore God's angry with you. Uh, or, this is part of what the friends did, right? Yeah. Or you're suffering, therefore God must not have the power to help. Mm -hmm. There's a book... Uh, that was very popular early in my ministry by a rabbi Harold, Harold Kushner, why bad things happen to good people. I've heard of and, that uh, one. Yeah. He, his, his, his contrast was either God is not truly good. And so he allows bad things to happen mm -hmm. or he's not truly almighty and he can't really control everything. And logically, that that makes good logic sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and this is where you have to say, um, our God is not logical. Uh, I, I, when not I, our I kind teach, of logic. Yeah, when yeah, he doesn't when, play when, math the way we do. Yeah, when when I teach uh, the the membership Bible study, I just say in every doctrine of Scripture, you always got come up to a place where there is a wall that you just have to say, either I trust that God is true. Or I'm God, and I'm going to stand in judgment over God. Oh yeah, yeah. So 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 some of the some of the doctrines that we just you know, and the example that I like to use is the Trinity, because most of the time, by the time we get that point in the Bible Bible class, people aren't questioning the Trinity, and yet it makes absolutely no sense. You know, especially the more you think about it, Jesus is God as He's dying on the cross, and He cries out, "Why have you forsaken me, O God?" What? You know, right. I just have to trust that God understands himself better than I ever will <laughs> and humbly, yeah. you know. And, and so to, to always come back to, I know that God loves me in Christ. Mm -hmm. I know that he is almighty. Both of those are absolutes. And rather than trying to figure out the solution to humbly say, I don't have the solution. I don't have to have the solution. My God does. I love doing thousand piece puzzles. And uh, I always knew that there was something wrong with you. There, I know. Man, wow. <laughs> one of the hardest ones was one of those Van Gogh ones. You know, it's like the, the the midnight one, the starry night, I think it is. And I can remember 
um, you know, we're looking at, at this puzzle. I mean, it took us two weeks as a family and my daughter is even more, she's better at this than all, all of us. And we still, it took us two weeks. And the, the, the idea that what I'm struggling to understand in the moment is like taking one piece of a puzzle and trying to understand how all of it fits together. Yeah. And even with the, you know, we have the Bible, so we know how it started we know how it ends. Jesus is victorious, and all those who who, who are who are alive in Christ through faith um, are are victorious with Him. So, but it was kind of like working on that starry night. I I could even I could see the piece, but I could not figure out where on earth it was going to go in that puzzle. Um, it took us so long, and in fact, you have to put a piece in here and put a piece in here. And the reality of it is our span of life sixty to eighty years, whatever it might be. <laughs> you might be able to see five or six of them get put together. And then God says, time to come home. I'm still working. Right. You know, and, and I love that, that idea that, you know, sometimes we can look back on things and see how the puzzle fit into the God's grand design. Right. But I would never say to people, you know, someday you'll understand. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of stuff that I just don't understand. Uh, and, and, uh, uh, you know, I just, you know, Mike knows, uh, well, we, we are, we have a, a dear little girl in our childcare, uh, called Liv who has yeah. a, she's yeah. got a horrible disease and, uh, walking across the parking lot, uh, I bumped into the childcare kids. And as I was walking away, I said, love you all. And I heard Liv's voice above them all love you pastor my heart oh i will never understand why this wonderful little girl has a horrible disease right but god's got a plan and and we're all praying for a miracle because we have a god who is all powerful you know so when you see evil what do you do you do the same thing that jesus did in the garden of eden father Oh, you love me. Mm-hmm. We have a God who loves live and his, her parents and everybody who loves live. We have a God who loves us and sent his son to die for us. Father, all things are possible with you. You're almighty, all loving, almighty. Take this cup from me. Right. Take this, oh, this problem from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. I mean, no matter what issue you're dealing with, that's the prayer. Love, power, I'm just going to trust you because you know better than me. If we could add two to the Christian, that's awesome, by the way. That's very practical. Uh, when we get to Maundy Thursday, um, that we were with Jesus in some respects, we, we, we model that prayer and the, and the stuff that just, the cup that God has asked us to, to take on. The, the thought, too, that um, has been precious to me and helpful has been that, again, the idea of the kingdom of God, that God, God's heart beats for relationship with all people for all time. And he uses the good, he uses the bad um, to continue to tell people about his abundant grace and so that idea that he's building his kingdom and he did it through the worst thing that you could conceive. And that's Jesus going to the cross, you know, and yet it's just this beautiful thing. It's all part of the kingdom 
for what point and purpose that death would be defeated, that life to the full would be made available to all who are in Christ. And so when these difficult things come, I have found it helpful for me to say God's building his kingdom. I don't know how that accident, you know, we both know uh, Pastor Aaron Strong who passed away, mm-hmm. a tragic car accident on his way to work. I mean, it's like how much more could he, Aaron have been doing? He was doing God's work. He's going to church at work and God calls him home. And I remember in that moment, somebody asking me, I don't understand what is, what is God thinking? And I'm like, I get it. He's building his kingdom. And then I watched the church packed. I watched, I was on one of the online people, 1200 viewing units online at the same time. I've watched his kids, you know, talk about their faith, his, his wife talk about her. Oh my goodness. And none of that you'd know about. If God hadn't said, Aaron, it's time for you to come home and join me in glory. It is in the darkest times that our faith can be displayed. The story that I love to tell is, is my good friend, 1313. So I I'll be honest. uh, My dear friend's name has escaped me, but one January morning, back when we assigned different offering envelope numbers every year. Sure. He came through the door and said, what, you're trying to curse me? You gave me 1313. Of course, then every time I saw him, I called him 1313 to the point that I don't remember his name now. Um, but my dear friend 1313 uh, had a, a son that he desperately wanted to draw closer to the Savior. And he lamented to me that so often the conversation is basically just come to church, come to church, come to church. Right, right. Well, when he had got brain a brain tumor, brain cancer that same year, suddenly he could talk to his son about his relationship with Jesus in a whole new way. Yeah, yeah. Right? Right. I mean, yeah. It, why God? Because... So often as pastors, we go to the hospital and and we hear some of the greatest confessions of faith. We walk out uplifted because here's a Christian who's facing things that I hope I never face. And yet Jesus is Jesus is with me. It's 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 okay. Wow. Right. Right. Uh, um <laughs> this was the heavy why question. I'd like to uh to tackle two other ones that I, I'm, I'm thinking that they'll go a little bit quicker. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. Um, th- but they were good questions. One of them um, was the idea, um, why wasn't Jesus more clear? Um, I've seen this one po- posted a couple of different times. He never came out and said, I am the son of God. Um, so maybe son of man, but why? Did, why what's up with that? All right. Why? So maybe tackle that one. So I, I'm going to start start with that question with uh, or that answer with a a, uh, a story about uh, my tour guide in Israel. The tour guide so, in Israel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we were in Nazareth, and to get to the Church of the Annunciation, you have to walk up about three blocks 
because you, the buses can't get right up to the Church of the Annunciation. Uh, and, and so you have to walk about three blocks. And there's cars parked all over the sidewalk. On the well, sidewalk? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and uh, uh, Nazareth is a primarily Arab city. And, and he said, uh, uh, in Arab-Palestinian culture, um, public, public property belongs to anyone. See, in our culture, public property really belongs to none of us. You got to, you know, you don't, you know, claim it as your own. We just have and to shovel here, it. Here, yeah, here's this Jewish, Jewish uh, tour guide telling me about uh, Arab culture and saying, whose culture is better? It's just different. Their view of public spaces and my view of public spaces are different. The cultures are different, but one's not better than the other. Now, how does that apply to this? All right. We want Jesus to speak to our culture. Uh, thank you for turning that off. And I know. <laughs> yeah. You can see it. I'm hoping to see that we're for everybody you know, podcast, full disclosure, we're still we're yeah. still messing with how all this stuff works and it was working really good and then all of a sudden it turned itself off and i'm like hey my thing and like i'm like now i'm just a talking head and so i was like maybe i can fix this and put it on a different view and you can see me i'm hoping the other people can't see it but yeah okay uh we're still we're still experimenting we're very yeah. new to this whole podcast right. reality anyway but but, but uh in our culture, we are very direct. Most cultures today think we are uh, Americans are are rude. Oh yeah, because we yeah. are so direct internationally. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Well, guess what? Why didn't Jesus just say, "I am God"? Well, that's the way we would have said it if if we were there. But Jesus wasn't living in our culture. He was living in a you know first century Jewish culture mm -hmm. and in first century Jewish culture um the people that heard him understood him he didn't have to say I am God they understood him in John they picked up stones to stone him because they recognized he's claiming to be God right mm -hmm. the Sanhedrin you know on the night that Jesus was uh, convicted by the Sanhedrin of blasphemy. What was the blasphemy? They heard un and understood yeah. he was claiming that he's God. Right. So the people who were living at that time heard what you would like to hear. They already heard it. Yeah. And it's maybe part of our cultural insensitivity that we want him to say it the way we want him to say it. Okay. Uh, and and then let's apply this to ourselves. In John chapter 13, uh, John chapter 13 is known as, oh, this is the, the chapter where Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Right. You know how that chapter starts? It starts with Jesus 
John saying Jesus knew where he came from, knew who he was, and he got down on his knees and served his disciples. Yeah. So, Mike, you are a son of God. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that you're going to uh, make, draw people closer to the Savior if you go around bragging, I'm the like, son of God. I'm the son of God. God. Mm -hmm. But if you know who you are, I'm a child of God. Mm -hmm. And I know where I'm going to go. I'm going to go to heaven. Then I'm going to serve. Right. And it's that humble service that draw, drew people to the Savior in the first century. And it's that humble service that draws people to the Savior to this day. Good. That's good. Got time for one more quick one? Podcast, sure. we can go a little bit longer. Um, I thought this was a good question, too. Um, there is the idea that God is a magic genie. I can remember a, a, a movie called uh, Bruce Almighty. Yeah. Uh, where, where if you have a chance to see it, you know, he gets tired of answering everybody's prayers. Like, golly, these people don't, you know. And he just says, say yes to everything. And it just turns into a train wreck, you know. I thought that was kind of funny, but this idea though, that, that, um, well, God should, God, God's on call for me. You know, God is my magic genie. Well, he's not. I can say a lot of prayers and it doesn't seem to influence anything in terms of the way I want to see something go. And so the question becomes, why bother to pray? Why do Christians bother to, to pray when God knows what's going to happen anyways? It would just seem like, Okay, he's omniscient, all-knowing. How could my prayer influence anything? Why bother doing it? And uh, uh, to me, this this is a nice, you know, kind of goes back to the first first uh, question that we tackled today. That uh, our God invites us to pray. Oh, he knows something that we don't. Yes, God knows all things. Uh, I find it very comforting that in Romans chapter 8, he can even make my groans into prayers that are yeah. heard and acceptable to him. Right. Because probably most of my prayers that really are heartfelt are, are just. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And God, God, you know. But he wants to reassure us that he hears us, that he cares about us, and that he will make the decisions that are best for us. You know, as a dad, you know, God has blessed you being a dad too, Mike. You know, mm -hmm, that, right. that uh, uh, you want your kids to come and ask you. Mm -hmm. You could probably guess what they need, but you want them to come and ask uh, because you, you, you want them to feel comfortable coming to you. Uh, and sometimes you'll say no because that was the dumbest thing that they could ever have asked for. <laughs> and sometimes you say yes, even though it was the dumbest thing you could ever ask for because you want them to learn. Mm -hmm. I asked for a horse. I got a horse. Dumbest thing that I ever asked for from my dad. I remember uh, that story. <laughs> but I learned something about, <laughs> about what I'm asking for. Um, and and it all comes back to, do I trust my God that he says, I want to hear you, and I, I will hear you, 
and that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Yep. All right, God. Uh, I don't, this is again, I humbly say, I don't get it. I just trust you. And why? Because the tomb on Easter morning was empty. Mm -hmm. You see, it always comes back to, I gotta, I gotta walk back out to that Easter tomb. Was it really empty? Right. If Jesus rose from the dead, then I'm going to trust his invitation to prayer, his promise that, that God does hear our prayers, that God does answer our prayers. And so often when I feel like he, he isn't, he's just saying, oh, Pete, that was such a dumb thing to ask. <laughs> I love you enough not to give you what you think you need. Because, right. Yeah. And, and and as a parent, you know, that I didn't get that when I wasn't a parent. Once I became yeah. a parent and realized how often kids ask for dumb things. Right. Okay, God, I'll cut you some slack. Yeah. I'm always taking the comfort, too, from the uh, ask, seek, and knock. You know, that whole section in Matthew that it's interesting, you know, ask, um, seek, you will find knock and the door will be open. So you can ask for whatever you want, but that whole idea of seeking, if you go a few verses earlier, um, God reminds you what's the seeking all about. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. So it's it's always interesting. It's good for us to ask, get it out. And then you run it through the filter of God's word and God's kingdom, putting it in his hands. And then the idea of knocking on the door, I always, I always kind of saw that picture that, like if I'm walking, like I was a newspaper carrier and I had to collect back in the day, you had to collect yes, right, right. money from people and they maybe gave you a tip or maybe they didn't, but you had to knock on that door and they were either there or they weren't there. And sometimes you were afraid that they were going to be there because <laughs> what do you want? And, but it was, it was a moment of commitment to go and to knock and to lay it there. And sometimes I was halfway down the down the sidewalk when it, when they finally opened the door, <laughs> and so I, I've kind of grown to see prayer a little bit that way. That I ask for a lot of stuff. Some of it's some of it's good, um, but some of it is not. And you run it through the filter of God's kingdom and God's righteousness. Am I actually asking for? And that's what's been helpful to me. Is prayer is oftentimes a bit of a reflection of where my heart is. And if I'm honest. Yeah, I kind of like the candy bar and the really cool car and the stuff that God's like, that'll kill you. It'll kill our relationship. I'm not going to give it to you. And that's that's why the Lord's Prayer is such a beautiful prayer. Yeah. yeah. You know, Father, I can ask you anything. Yeah. Let your name be hallowed. Let, let, let you be glorified in everything. Let your rule, your kingdom in my heart and in the heart of others happen. Let your will be done because you know better than me. Give me my daily bread. I don't even know what I know, need, but, but you know. Yeah. And where I've blown it, forgive me and help me to be forgiving. And yeah. then, Lord, guide me because, man, there's so much evil in the world. You know, amen. I mean, right. Oof, thank you, Lord. So, yeah. Hey, this has been a great conversation. These are great questions. We've got a couple more episodes on this particular topic that we'll be recording in the weeks ahead. But we just want to thank you, Pastor Pete, for taking time to uh, to make this happen. Thank you so much, Mike. I've enjoyed it.
And we'll uh, we'll be back again with our, our next installment of Great Questions, Great Conversations. I'm Mike Westendorf. St. Paul Muskego is where you can find out more about our ministry and uh, the things that we're at. This is on the podcast all over. So uh, if you've enjoyed it, if this has been helpful, I uh, just encourage you to share it with those who you think would benefit from it. I'm Mike Westendorf. This is Pastor Pete Panitsky. Great questions, great conversations. We'll see you next time.